Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here, we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in His love. We are grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. Good morning. Oh, come on. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. One more time. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning. Could we turn to the person on our left and right and say, good morning? Maybe throw even, throw in and even like, I've missed you. Can you guys ask each other how y'all's weeks were? <laughs> good morning. Good morning. How you guys feeling this morning? Tired? You feeling okay? Can I get like a thumb? How you guys feeling? Up, medium, down? How you feeling? I'm like here, I'm a little tired. Um, well, it's really lovely to see every single person's face. Uh, for those of us who might be visiting for the first time in a long time or for any newcomers, my name is Pastor Jane. I am the pastor of the English speaking youth and adults at North Boston. Welcome to our family. It's really nice to see everyone here. We are going through a sermon series um, on Sermon on the Mount, but before we go through a sermon series on summer, Sermon on the Mount, y'all know how it is. Our world is flipping upside down. We're going to take a minute to pray. Uh, we're going to continue to pray for the church in Afghanistan. Uh, like I said, the church in Kabul has been martyred, um, and we are going to be continuing to pray for the churches, for the Christians, for our fellow brothers and sisters in Afghanistan that um, have been uh, hiding uh, we're going to pray for protection and provision over them. We're going to pray for, continue to pray for the church in Haiti as they recover from a very, very uh, devastating earthquake. So we're going to continue to pray for them as well. Um, and we're also going to be praying for those who are still affected by Hurricane Ida. Uh, so yeah, let's just take this moment to pray. Uh, you guys can pray aloud or to yourselves, but we're just going to take a minute to pray. Let's pray. the churches in Afghanistan and in Haiti. Father God, we pray, Lord, that you would be with these churches as they go through disasters, man-made horror, or uh, just uh, disasters that have come their way in the form of a natural disaster. Lord, I just pray for your people who are uh, left dislocated or left this place without homes. We pray for your people who have been torn apart. We pray for your people who are mourning. Father, Lord, we pray that you would uh, just be known, Lord, that you would be that you would be worshipped, God, mightily. Lord, we pray uh, just for um, just just for your 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 people who have been affected by Hurricane Ida. Ida, Lord, I just pray, God, that you would continue, Father God, to bring relief. That you continue to bring comfort, uh, God. That you would continue to allow our community to come around one another and to support one another. So, Lord, would you just continue to be, Father, with our churches? We love you. We we honor you. We submit under you. We believe against all odds that you reign supreme. And God, that you are not just the God that sits up in the heavens, but that you are a real God that comes and meets your people. And so, Lord, we lift up our, our church to you, knowing, God, that you love them even more than we do and that you have them in your hands. 
give us hearts of compassion to act and not just pray in Sunday service, to act um, in mercy and really come alongside our brothers and sisters wherever they are. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to continue to go through our sermon series on Sermon on the Mount. So if y'all can open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. If y'all didn't know, Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. If y'all do not have a Bible, come let your Jane don't know. I will get you a Bible. Matthew 5, verses 17 through 20. Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 20. Could we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? This is the word of the Lord. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven but whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please remain standing as we pray. Abba. Abba. Our Father. We trust you. We submit to you. It's a hard word, Lord. Open the ears and the eyes of our hearts so that we would know what you are saying to us. Holy Spirit, take us to the next level with you. A behind Me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and glorified. We love you so much, God, and we give you glory. Be with us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we're obviously doing this in micro-sized portions. If you guys weren't here for the earlier parts, I highly recommend, I highly, of all these sermons, I highly recommend going back over uh, the, the Beatitudes. I think that was a couple weeks ago, last week we talked about being salt and light and what that meant. And today we will be talking about, I know it says, oh, it says the right thing. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. I normally give a main idea and I normally give a title here. Um, but I just want to give that at the end because this is a hefty passage. And what I mean by that is we are a church that preaches grace we are a church that preaches forgiveness. We are a church that preaches freedom. And this is true. Romans 8.1 says there is now no condemnation. Not some, not a little bit, but no condemnation in Christ Jesus. That same chapter, it says nothing on heaven and on earth nor under it can separate you from the love of God. Then, what the heck is this passage, right? And so I just want us to really be open and attentive to 
this passage right now and what we're going to talk about. So the first thing it's, that it says, and I'm just going to jump right into it. Verse 17, it says, do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. Now, the context of this is that Jesus, this is Sermon on the Mount. This is one of the most important teachings of Christ given by Christ directly, right? And in the context of this, he first says, do not think that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy it, but to fulfill it. The reason for why he says this, a lot of the times in this time, there were people who believed that to follow Jesus meant that you no longer had to follow everything that was being taught in the temple. Um, And so Jesus comes out and he says, I have not destroyed the law and have therefore allowed you to just follow me. I have completed the law. See, the word destroy, it says destroy here. This I'm, re- I'm looking at my own personal translation I'm, and also looking at the NIV. Um, in the ESV, it says abolish. The word abolish means destroy. And then the word fulfill means to fill up and complete. So I'm going to read it one more time with these definitions, okay, of the Greek. Do not think that I have come to destroy the law or the prophets. I have not come to destroy, but to complete it. A lot of the times when we think about Christianity, we think about the word freedom, right? Christ has set us free from the clutches of sin. And he has. He very much so has. But the way we think about freedom and the way scripture defines freedom is very, very different. For example, some of us here are college students. Some of us here are high school students that are going up to college, right? When you think pre-college, when you think about college, what's the first word that comes to mind? For me, it was freedom. Being outside of the clutches of your parents, being able to do whatever the heck you wanted. All right, it's been a minute since I graduated, okay? But I still remember that feeling, you know, that last six months before, the last year before college, you really feel like itching to get out. Like, I'm done living here. You're looking at your mom's panchan, and you're like, I don't want this no more, right? I want dorm food, right? Y'all don't even know what y'all are asking for. Y'all want, y'all want dorm food, right? Um, and we think about freedom. So then how, does, how do you and I define freedom in a secular sense? What do you think the word freedom means? Turn to the person next to you. What do you guys think the word freedom means? Try to explain the word freedom to one another. Try to explain it. 
What does freedom mean? What does freedom mean? <laughs> Think about it. What does freedom mean? I'm going to ask you. Think about it. What does freedom mean? What does freedom mean? What do you think freedom means? What do you think freedom means, Christian? What do you think freedom means, Christian? When you want. You can do what you want when you want. Tim, what do you think freedom means? Are you looking it up? <laughs> can you say? <laughs> Since you looked it up, can you come up here and read that definition for us? The, the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. Thank you. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I've never been that cruel before. I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you for being so loving and, and coming up here and kindly reading off the definition instead of, you know, saying it in your own words. Um, but <laughs> you know, thanks, thanks for thanks for doing that for us. Um, so, in the secular sense, or in a worldly sense, or or just in a natural sense, right? From what we know, freedom often has to do like what Tim eloquently said through words that were not his own, or like Christian said, uh, you do what you want when you want, right? But Christ here redefines an understanding of the freedom that we have received from the gospel. We think that when we are set free by God, when we have been forgiven of our sins, when we have been shown mercy, the word freedom means now all of a sudden we are without restraint. To do whatever the heck we want. When we want it, because Jesus still loves us, does he not? And for those of you guys who have not properly processed the forgiveness of God over your life and how much he really loves you, I would say focus on that first, you know? Internalize that first for yourself because God is not a God of condemnation. God is a God of kindness. He is a God of mercy. You will screw up because you're human. But God is a God that never gives up on you, always chases after you. However, when it says that Christ has set us free, it does not mean that he has destroyed the previous laws of the Old Testament, but that he has completed it. This is important. The reason for why this is important. It's shown more clearly in Galatians 5. Galatians 5 verse 1 says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. For freedom Christ has set us free. The word here in the Greek context is to release. For freedom Christ has released us. Stand firm. Stay tay. Stand firm, I probably, I definitely butchered that word. Therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. 
what, what is that talking about here? See, how we define the freedom that we have becomes clearer when we consider what we have been set free from. Yes, we have been set free from condemnation. Yes, we have been set free from judgment. But the main thing that we have been set free from that leads us to a place of no judgment and no condemnation is we have been set free from sin. This is a concept that a lot of the church in America today does not have properly in our brains. We are not set free from judgment and condemnation. There is no more judgment and condemnation because we have been set free from sin and the ramifications of sin and the consequences of it. It's like when you say that you have chest pains and then like when, when somebody comes into the doctor and they say, I have chest pains. It's not that chest pains in and of itself are the disease. Chest pains are a symptom of a problem, of a cardiothoracic thoracic problem, right? So we can't just say we have been set free from judgment and condemnation. No, that is a symptom. There is no more judgment and condemnation in Christ Jesus because we have been set free from sin. What does that mean? A lot of people in this room right now might think that that means that therefore you can do whatever you want. Sinning in and of itself happens when we wantonly do whatever we want. I thought we've been set free from sin. See, you and I are built as much as it would be great if we were to always have the right desires all the time. You and I are not perfect. We are sinners. Romans 3.23 says, there is not one good man, not even one. The reality is that it is precisely our broken humanity that underscores the need for a savior. If we were not human, we would not need a savior. But the human condition is so that it leads you to want to do whatever you want. Because at the core, Sin is when you want to be God of your life. And see, I mentioned the freedom of college because college is unique where all your life you've had to listen to teachers, you've had to listen to parents, and then for the first time in your life, you get to operate as though you don't have them. You get to reap all the financial benefits 
of what it means to have parents without actually having to deal with them no more. And you have the first, for the first time in your life, you can do whatever the heck you want. For those of us who are in college, who have graduated college, by the grace of God, what was your first semester like? Yo, I went crazy. I don't know about y'all. I went crazy. What I am, I'm, I've just turned 26. I am crazy. And so I went crazy. <laughs> Some people here might have freaked out at that extra freedom. Some of us might have went wild. And you know what? There's grace for everybody. Amen? Amen. There's grace for everybody. But so that, that, first, that first moment of fresh air, when you no longer have to deal with everything that comes with being a member of the family, and all you get is their money. And then, for those of us who have graduated college, I know some of us high schoolers and middle schoolers are like, this is a reality that is not. It, it comes fast. It comes fast, right? For those of us who are graduated, we all remember the moment where we had to move in with our parents again. Y'all already know, right? I did not have to explain how stifling it felt because there was no more freedom. So the way we are is that we naturally want to do whatever we want. Why? Why do we not like being with our family sometimes? They love us. They have our best interest in mind. They feed us. We don't have to pay for food. We don't have to pay rent. We don't have to pay the bills. We don't have to pay for insurance. We don't have to pay for our phones. We don't have to pay for all of these things. And yet, why are we so keen on moving out? Because ultimately, we want to do whatever the heck we want to do that badly. Christ redefines freedom from outside of that. The way that Christ released us, we were released, what, from obligation, from responsibility to do what? Whatever we want. But Christ redefines the gospel to him having released us from slavery. Which means that we are no longer released just from the ramifications of sin. We are released from sinning and everything that comes along with it. He says, I have not come to destroy, but to fulfill it. The word here, that word, to fulfill, it means to fill up, to complete. I have come to complete the law. And Galatians 5 has that extra added portion to it that really like clarifies this a little further. It says, stand firm, therefore, and do not submit to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm and don't submit. The word submit also means be entangled, marinated in. The yoke is the burden. It's kind of like a thing that falls on an ox that you like, you like direct the ox off of it and the, you, the ox is trapped. It's like it comes over the shoulders like this and it traps the ox. It's a farm term, right? Do not submit again. Do not be entangled again with the clasp of slavery to sin. 
which means, yes, you have been set free from judgment. Yes, you have been set free from condemnation. There is nothing that you can do that can make Jesus love you less. Some of us in the room, we might not feel like we're close to God right now. That's not because Jesus doesn't love you. There is nothing that you can do that will make Jesus love you less. However, the gospel is such that we have been set free from sin, not just judgment and condemnation. So we are to stand firm and not submit to slavery to what? Sin. To not be entangled with it again. And that makes things a little complicated. Because when we think of the word freedom, we think of doing whatever we want when we want to, right? But Christ redefines freedom from not being free from obligation to do what we want, but being freed from sin to not be enslaved anymore. The first feeling that might overtake you right now as you hear this is that you feel unfree. That's normal. Because as human beings, we want to be our own God. We can't help but want to do what we want. And we feel this rush of adrenaline and joy when we do whatever the heck we want. Even if in the back of our minds we know that it's not always the best thing. To only act on that impulse To be so overtaken by that impulse where you can do nothing other than just what you want, Christ defines that as a form of slavery. And that's interesting. It's like when you need a pee. I have given this illustration before because nothing has driven me in my life like when I need to pee. You know what I mean? Like, I've given the example of like, when you're driving and that rest stop is not coming for miles and miles and you should have gone to that rest stop before when there was only slight that you needed to be but then you overestimated your damn bladder. And you're like, nah, I can do this. And you go and you're stuck in the middle and you're like, oh dang, oh nah, uh-uh. Nah, I got to pull over right now. Get to a point where you're just like holding on for dear life. You're like holding on and you're like stressed and your veins are bulging. And it looks like you need to do something else, but actually what you need to do is pee. I've given that illustration before, but I don't know, I don't know how many commuters are in the room. I don't know how many of y'all know what it's like to live in a city. Okay? But imagine a place where the only way to get to a bathroom is walk for miles and miles, and you have to pay good money to use their bathroom. Welcome to Manhattan. So when I need to pee, and I have left the restaurant, 
New York City people, we learn to develop bladders of steel. Because you have got to learn to hold it in all day or use the dirty train bathroom. Okay? And even then, we think that we, we overestimate ourselves. We're like, no, we can hold it in. We can handle it. But then we overestimate ourselves. And we don't pee when we should have peed. And we get really close to peeing our pants. And you can barely walk. And it hurts. And in that moment, all you can do is find the bathroom. It's not even like you're trying to like not listen to your friend as this friend is crying out to you with their woes and their troubles. It's not like you don't love them. You just really need to go. But this person keeps talking at you, and all you can think about are toilets, right? Just all you can think about. Off when we think about what Jesus is talking about here, that's what comes to mind for me. When the need to act on your own impulse is so strong that you can't do anything other than your impulse. When the want to do whatever the heck you want is just so strong that all you can do is just do what you want and not the thing that was good for you. That's not freedom. It can't be. Because you will pay the consequences of that. And you will know that it was not freedom. It was foolishness. And so Christ introduces this new binary here. You might wonder, Jane, does that mean that Christ will not love us if we disobey? No. Freedom is not about love. God's love for you is not dependent on whether or not you are acting in your sin. This freedom that Christ is talking about, talking about for you to live in, it's not because the baseline of love is God, right? Love is an invitation that God has done to us. Freedom is a call from then on out. So if you can think about it, love is foundational. And then this freedom layers on top of that love. What happens when there's this layer of free, being free from sin and trying to live in a way where you are extending past just your desires to live into your identity and your calling in Christ without the foundation of love? That's called legalism. What if you have the foundation of love, but you're still enslaved? And you don't want to break that. You're like, now that Jesus loves me, I still want to do whatever I want. That's called cheap grace. This is very important. This is, what, like, this is literally one of the hardest things to understand and digest. But let me tell you something about legalism and cheap grace. When you are in this place where you're just acting and you've lost that love, you've missed that first love, or if you know the love of God, but you avoid that part of living in freedom past just your impulses, you might feel like God feels far from you. Because something is missing. 
God isn't actually far from you. But you might feel like he is. And then Christ talks about righteousness. Says In here it says, Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches other people to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever keeps and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that you will never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness is greater than that of the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Now that sounds scary. Because all of a sudden, you have to be better than the Pharisees. You have to be better than the teachers. I have to be better than the teachers of the law? Screw that. I can't do that. That's what you might be thinking right now. And if you are, I don't blame you. This is a very, this is a very controversial, like on the surface level, it's a very controversial text. But here, actually, Jesus is addressing a different people. See, there are two types of people in the audience when Jesus is preaching right now. There are people who think that the teachings of Jesus completely destroy the laws. Therefore, they no longer have to live into those laws at all because Jesus loves them. And there are people here who don't like Jesus because Jesus doesn't keep the law. And Jesus is actually referencing and making a pointed comment not at the people who think that the law is abolished, but it's actually to the Pharisees. Jesus is saying, because the Pharisees are the type of people where they do all the right things, they keep all the right laws, but they are not ethical. They do not love justice. In fact, they do not prioritize love at all. If somebody sins, they stone them. If somebody is hurting, they look at their own pocket and look away. Jesus is redefining righteousness here. Because there is absolutely no way that you can be more righteous than the prophets and scribes in the context of the old law because they keep all of it. So Jesus is not saying you have to be above and beyond morally. You have to keep all your laundry list of rules morally. He's saying my righteousness is different than what you're thinking. He's saying I don't care about all the actions that you do for me. I care about your heart being near me. Righteousness here is defined as living our lives in accordance with the will of God. And God is saying here that living out life in accordance with God's will is not about action, but it's about heart. A new righteousness that is not necessarily opposed to the law, but is a true implication of it. What this means is, this sounds like a passage where Jesus is policing you. But it's not a passage where Jesus is fixated on your action. It's a passage where Jesus is calling back your heart. See, because sin is not an active outward thing. Sin is an internal heart issue. 
We just talked about freedom being doing whatever the heck we want what, when we want it. The key word in freedom is want. Freedom is being released to do what your greatest desires are. But Jesus redefines that to be the freedom to not just always do what you want to do, but to live for something greater. For your heart to not just be fixated on what you want to do when you want to do it, to not just satisfy the itch of pleasure, but to live for something else. A greater conviction And in light of that, he says, my righteousness is not all about doing all the right things. So he calls out this group where they have been set free, but they are doing all the wrong things. And then he goes and he calls out the group that are doing all the right things. And he says, it's not about the things you're doing. It's about who you're living for in here. You are free not just to live for yourself, but to live for the Lord. You might not feel like that's very freeing, but you were created for community and relationship, not just with each other, but with the Lord. Somewhere down the line, something happened, and that no longer feels natural to you. But just because sometimes it feels unnatural for me to breathe, do I then stop breathing? Was I still not created to need breath in my lungs? Just because all of a sudden I don't want to eat, do I then stop eating? Was I not created to eat? God is reminding you of what you were actually created to do. And he's detaching your fixation on action to find your value and worth. And he's saying, I care about your heart. He's redefining righteousness, and he's redefining freedom. But this freedom and this righteousness doesn't look quite like what we think it does. For somebody to be righteous, we think that it's doing all the right things in church, serving at church, playing the guitar, singing praises, being the first person to talk to another person. But it might be more righteous for some of you in this moment to go talk to that person in the corner of a bar about what they're struggling with than to be up on praise team on Sunday morning. To not shy away from that, from that poor woman in the corner Even, even while you like to talk about mercy and grace. Righteousness is not about action, it's about the heart. And so Jesus basically, the reason why it's this controversial is because he's just calling everybody out, okay? He's saying, you there at the front of the sanctuary, 
You got to be greater than that. He's saying, you there, one that I love. That does whatever the heck you want on Saturday nights, but still makes it out Sunday morning. I have created you for more. That is the hard reality of the gospel. Do not water down the gospel. Don't water down condemnation and judgment. Like water down grace and forgiveness to the point where you are judging other people who come in on Sunday mornings that don't look like you, that don't live the same lifestyle as you. On the other end, don't water down grace and forgiveness to the point where you think you can do whatever the heck you want. That's not, that's not, that's not what he taught us to do. It's not going to change his love for you, but it's not what he taught you to do. I mean, I get it. Do you not see me? I am no different than you. I'm around your age. I get it, okay? Everybody know here who know me know I get it, okay? But stop getting entangled with your yoke. Self-control is a fruit of the gospel. But how can that be a fruit of the Holy Spirit if Christ sets us free? That's because self-control is not at odds with freedom. So here we have a challenge to those who only act Christian and don't have any room in their lives for people who do not act Christian. And then also a challenge for people who have received the love of God but might not seem Christian in their day-to-day life. I don't know what y'all think, y'all thought today was going to be about. I don't know what I thought today. I don't know if I knew myself even completely what today was going to be about. But can we just take this moment to pray? And ask God, what does this mean for your life? I know that was a really hard word to hear. For those of you guys who feel like you've been punched in the face or you've been disciplined, remember please remember the premise of the gospel that Christ died for us so that no longer so that our identities would no longer be tied to our faults and our weaknesses, to our bitterness, to where we fall short. 
even to our hard hardness against him. Christ died for people who did not know him, for people who did not care. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. Remember, it is the kindness of God that leads us to live as his people. To not just be cultural Christians or Sunday Christians, but to really be challenged. To sit with sinners as we are sinners ourselves. If we need to repent right now, could we just take a moment to just come before the Lord and come, bef come before his love, his loving call for us to return to the fold. For those of us who are sitting in anxiety and in condemnation right now, of yourself, of other people, whatever it may be. Could you just, could we just take this moment to receive the love of God? If, if we're not sure if we've received God's love for us, could we just take this moment to receive God's love for us and then commit our lives to him? So simple, but let's just return to the heart of God. Let's take this moment to pray. Wherever you're listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkmc.com.